Wrongcast, the most heretical podcast about the New Jedi Order. I'm your host, Rocky, and with me are my co-hosts, Megan and Bria. This month, we'll be talking about Balance Point by Kathy Tires, in which being afraid of bugs makes sense, taking care of your planet is a good thing for you, and lots more horrible things happen. So grab your villip, tune in, and enjoy the show. And as a reminder, here on the Vongcast, we do not talk about spoilers for future books in the series, but we do go through today's book pretty thoroughly. So if you haven't read it yet, pause this recording, go read the book, and then come back and join us. All right. So do we want to introduce ourselves here? I'm Megan, obviously. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks. I'm Bria, and... No, I'm sorry. We already knew this podcast was going to be off the rails tonight. Sorry, Rocky. (laughs) To anyone who's sorry, not sorry for the first episode here, you're going to be confused. Just, just roll with it. I think so. I guess I should go with I'm not Megan. I'm Bria (laughs) to help anyone who's coming in new. I'm really Bria. I promise. Always confused. (laughs) For some (laughs) reason, I thought you were going to go with. Some of us are always Bria, which is true. <laughs> but like, this is why actually maybe I should have gone with that instead. <laughs> so as you can tell, today we're we're doing this a little less formally than usual. If there is such a thing as formal. <sighs> well, do we want to start with a reading of the summary of this book? Sure. I think we do. Are you, are you doing it, Rocky, or? Oh, no, you have the better summary oh, okay. voice. <laughs> okay. Do you, I forgot do you I got the reappointed, the, uh, the dramatic <clears throat> back of the book reader. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. There is no place else to channel the flood of refugees fleeing the murderous Yuzen Vong, but the overcrowded planet Duro, poisoned by Sentry's technological excess. Fortunately, a deal is struck. In exchange for a new home, the refugees will work to restore the planet to health under the watchful eye of Leo Organa Solo. While tempers flare between the Duros and the New Republic, Han Solo, his son Jason, and the Rin called Droma arrive to keep the peace. They are unaware that Leia is on Duro, and that Luke, Mara, and Anakin are on their way, searching for a missing Jedi apprentice. And none realize that the Yuuzhan Vong have chosen this embattled planet as the next target in their brutal Sorry. Brutal core word thrust. <laughs> couldn't do it. So, I couldn't fun do it. Fact, I'm sorry. Fun fact, the hardback version of this book has a slightly different blurb. The first two sentences are switched. Oh, good. Does it still well, have then. the brutal core word thrust? <laughs> yes, that has not been edited or removed in any way. Great. Okay, okay, I might have the to rest. excuse myself before I make a dirty joke. <laughs> Hold on. Uh, wait, there's another paragraph. Hold on. <clears throat> Excuse me. Now, as the fragile stability on Duro threatens to collapse into violence, Jason Solo must face his greatest dilemma. At what point does use of power become aggression? Whatever he decides, his next story could tip the galaxy's destiny toward the light or toward darkness, with the life of someone he loves hanging in the balance. <laughs> okay, that was the most overdramatic summary we've had in a while, even by this series' standards. I'm really... I can't decide what my favorite part is. 
<laughs> might be the brutal core with thrust. Yes. <laughs> Yes, yes, it is for me, at least. <laughs> in case anyone is wondering, literally none of us flipped the book over to start with. So whenever I or Megan or occasionally, Rocky, have you read these before? Um, whoever's the reading summaries? it. Yeah, I yeah. think so. So basically, whoever is reading this dramatically, it's the first time we're reading it. <laughs> Yes. Oh, yeah, I had no no need to read about this until now. So, um, yes. <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Oh boy. Okay. That's the summary. Well, my my quick and easy summary. Well, I wish the book had turned out half as good as the summary. <laughs> right? Oops, the summary I said was that. much more um it it was much more riveting than the text inside, I think. All yes. I have is a very dirty joke Don't do about it, Luke and Mara and... Are we ready to start that part of the rant slash podcast? <laughs> no, I was just going to go on with another brittle corward thrust joke. <laughs> You're in charge, I'm so sorry. I need, to be, I need to go and time out. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to fall off my chair again at the rate I'm going. <laughs> I'm sorry. Megan, you have to be the adult today. I'm so I sorry. Was, look, I wasn't going to say it, so you said it, so okay, I'll be the adult. <laughs> I am never to be mistaken for a responsible adult. <laughs> oh so I think we all agree that this book was not the most fascinating part of our journey. Um, I found myself critiquing a lot of it, and I think part of that is not because it's any more it's objectively worse than the duology that came before it but because it has characters i'm invested in but also a lot of the same flaws as the previous duology meaning it can't kind of shrug it off with i don't like han that much his journey isn't super interesting to me instead it's i really like leia really like luke i generally like jason but their story is just plodding along and the plot really got lost in this book, and one of the inciting incidents was that Luke was going to investigate the missing Jedi apprentice, and I sort of forgot that was happening for a while until he mentioned it at the end. So it didn't have a lot of, of legs to stand on. It had quite a lot of structural problems. Um, what, did, what did you think? Yeah, same problem. Because now that you mention about Luke going to find a missing Jedi apprentice... Oh, right. Now I remember that that was actually a plot element and it wasn't just like a lot of bureaucracy and Duro is a disaster of a planet. And we all know perfectly well that these refugees are all going to die horribly. It's just a question of how it happens and how fast they can tie it all up together. And then I remember that there was probably a plot running around there somewhere. It's also very similar to what happened at Ithor. So you kind yeah. of know all right, there's going to be a disaster. We're going to have to deal with this refugee crisis. They did some interesting things with the refugee crisis that we'll talk about more, I think. But overall, it became kind of repetitive. And an illustration of what I thought was the problem with the stakes in this book was that there was a chapter that ended with like a major drama, Randa the Hutt coming to annoy Jaina. And that's the end of the chapter. That's the if you want to read more, you know, you got to turn the page part. And then you turn the page and it's two days later and Randa annoying Jaina was never 
an important stake. That was never high stakes at all, but the book doesn't even, it just glosses over it. So it's even less uh, high stakes. So that's about. Yeah. That's because Randa straight up sucks. Yes. Randa's awful. I could have maintained a count of how many times I wanted to slap him in the course of the book. Basically, anytime he was on the page. But, Megan, I think you got it right uh, earlier when you said that it should have been better because, you know, we had everyone back in the book that we had missed before. Like, we had... I think one of us mentioned in the last episode that, oh, it was missing the solos. We didn't have the three kids in there in the spotlight. And this one did. And it was didn't work. And I think yeah. also it came off worse because we were coming off of two books that were not great. So when you top it off with this one, it just adds insult to injury. I know. You said that in your memory, it you had basically forgotten most of the end. Do you want to add anything else about the experience oh. <laughs> of reading it for a second time? So, like the entire second half of the book. Um, yeah, me too. For some too. reason, I thought the book ended with Leia and Jaina and everyone having a family head shaving moment. <laughs> <laughs> that was incorrect. Like, I remembered the last battle, and I remembered the head-shaving moment, and I did not remember most of what actually led up to that. Well, here's the thing, is the head-shaving happened on page, you know, they're having the conversation on page uh, 152. In my copy of the book, it goes until 359. Yeah, something like that. So, only half, that only happens halfway through the book, and... I forgot literally everything else that happened in this book, except that Jane is in a back to tank at some point. Maybe, you know, Jane gets I injured so. yeah. and everyone shaves their heads. And that's all I remembered. Yes. A lot of what happens after that are characters getting trapped in tunnels. Like Mara and yeah. um, Jaina were trapped in a tunnel for a while. And then Jaina and Jason were trapped in tunnels. I mean, these, I remembered, yeah, I remembered definitely that Jason finally decided to use the force a little to fight Savangla. I didn't remember the defenestration with office furniture and I like died laughing <laughs> on a crowded airplane at that part. <laughs> I'm just like the mental oh, image of this is just perfect. <laughs> I'm sorry. Was... I was so done with Jason in this book. I wanted to slap that boy five ways such... over the head. He is such a teenager. We all knew him in high school, didn't we? The kid who totally knew everything and was totally better than all of us because he was so thinky and philosophizing and totally determined to do the right thing, despite the fact that everybody desperately wanted to punch him for actually being an arrogant asshole. Am I allowed to say Actually, that? you know what I had in my head when I was <laughs> reading this was, are you guys familiar with Les Mis? Yes. Okay. Vaguely. The whole like red and black song where and whatever his face is is all like, who cares about your lonely soul? And I'm just like, who cares? I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I was rewriting in my head to be like, do it. Yeah, I was like, who cares about your philosophical soul? We're striving towards a larger goal. Do it and (laughs) And I will totally sing that with you. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to be Jason? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Oh, God. Okay, get us off this tangent. (laughs) <laughs> so there's a moment um i do want to talk about jason but i also don't want to skip ahead too far 
you know, I'm gonna do it. So because one of the things I did like in this book was that it introduces Jason's vision, which is reminded me a lot of a couple other things in the Star Wars universe. It reminded me of the Mortis sort of not the the Mortis arc per se, but the Mortis aesthetic with the sort of yin yang symbol on the floor and the arena where Anakin fights. And it also reminded me of at the end of The Force Awakens when Rey catches the lightsaber because Jason is determined to catch Luke's lightsaber. And so I thought the vision was pretty cool. And I really liked the descriptions of Luke, mostly because it shows him as this very Jedi masterly, like pillar of light. Like he is the ultimate representation of what the light side is to Jason. And I thought that was cool. But again, we have the stakes problem where Jason is basically choosing between having his inner conflict and doing less than thrilling missions and neither of those things are super great. There was a conversation between Luke and Jason toward the end of the book that I did like. It's one of the conversations that encourages Jason to finally take up the, the sword again, where Luke talks about um, kind of how Jason is overthinking things. And I want to find the quote real quick, because while I generally agree with what Luke said, there's one line where I was like, that is not what Jason wants to hear at the moment. And it reminded me a lot of kind of my own teenage experience of being a kid that overthought things. Luke says, every act that doesn't come out of absolute faith can lead to fear and darkness. Jason responds to that pretty well. But I went, that's not a great thing to say because that means that you're blaming Jason's indecision for Jason's potential darkness. The book didn't go that way with it, but I was kind of like, that doesn't seem like what he would want to hear in that moment. Did that strike either of you? A little bit. It felt like there was a lot of foreshadowing of events that do not take place in this series. Yeah, and probably weren't planned yet. Exactly. And it was like things that just made me think, wow, this is such blatant foreshadowing. It has a nice little sign saying foreshadowing on it, even though I'm <laughs> positive that it was not deliberately done so. And I think it also has a nice little sign that says emotional conflict on it. It's not necessarily, I mean, it became foreshadowing because we know what happens later, but it's also like, here's a an emotional set of paths Jason could take. And you're waiting for him to choose one of them, but then he never really chooses one of them. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, in this book, he does a little bit. I think... I agree with you that it's signposting. I don't agree that it needs to be foreshadowing in order to be signposting, but now I'm probably doing the Jason thing and being unnecessarily uh, nitpicky. It's feeling like foreshadowing now because I have a line from a book about six or seven books down the road stuck in my head. As do I, and I have all sorts of events from many, 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 many books in the future. Like, so much of this makes me... Remind me about this at the end of Unifying Force because I'm going to have all sorts of comments about Jason and his future and all the different ways, all the different ways that it could possibly be. The vision really struck me a lot the first time I read it and again and again, seeing that a lot of that imagery felt like I was seeing a lot of it again within The Force Awakens and the whole 
And the whole idea that no matter how much Jason is disturbed by the vision, he gets kind of the reality check about the force, like, well, what are you doing here with force philosophy? And then he's realizing, finally, there comes a point where he might actually have to do something instead of just thinking about doing something. The the little bits and pieces of it that I feel like could have been better explored and I feel like they could have done even more with this if this makes any sense at all and it didn't necessarily have to go the way it did in the longer term. I'm going to go on a long spoilery rant if you if you don't have warn me constantly though. Yeah, let's stick with yeah. this one for now, although I do agree that, no, I'm like, yeah, but things were, like, seeded before, and, which is kind of a terrible pun when it comes to you, Sunbong. But, so, <laughs> to get, Actually, I want to Speaking of seeding bit. things, was this the first time we had a mention of the Supreme, it's not Supreme Leader, Supreme, Supreme Overlord. Overlord? Maybe? Uh, I don't know. It may have been. Yeah, I actually I feel like it might have been because now that I think of it, I don't really feel like we've gotten a lot of insight into their politics so far, apart from a caste system, and they are at times at odds with each other, but I don't think we've yet gotten much word about who's actually in charge. Okay. Because I thought it was, but I didn't. I couldn't remember if I was misremembering something. Because especially, especially since we're seeing so much of their military wing... For a good long while, I kind of assumed that Savang La being the war master was in charge, and I feel like it wasn't until we were getting more consistent mentions of a supreme overlord that I realized that he probably wasn't. Hmm. Yes, and part of what I like about Savang La's role in this book is that we do get to see more about like what the different castes think of each other, and this, so... This is the part where I finally can go, okay, this is why I like Swangla. He's terrible and cheesy, but I like him because finally in this book, we get to see him interacting with familiar characters and it's this really quite horrific scene with Leia and he shows more about how his personality is distinct from Naminor and is distinct from... Um, the the warrior that Corin fought. Why is his name escaping me right now? And oh, Shadow yes, Shy. It's different from Shy. Yeah. And Savang Law is very commanding in this book. He's very like your classic evil villain, but also kind of almost. He clearly thinks he's doing the right thing and has this obsession and this, this intensity to him. And this is where I started being like, oh, he's got a personality. That's cool. So that's, this is where my feels start. And we also get Seif, who is his um, assistant, basically, who I was like, oh, a lady Yusun Vong with a name who's, you know, kind of replacing Elena, I guess. But she's, we've got another one. <laughs> so that's cool. So <laughs> I really wanted, like, I remember she like loomed very large in this series when she's actually a really minor character. I kind of attached to her because she was a background character that I could go like, I can have headcanon about that. And that was cool, even though there's not actually much about her. So those are pretty much my feels about them for now. Rocky, do you also do you also have feels? Oh, oh yes, definitely. Yeah, it was, like, I feel like this book just, like, really kind of cemented the image 
of Tsavanga in my mind, both like physically and as what kind of leader he's supposed to be, kind of how this society works. And and like his conversation with Leia before he attacks her is, this is what you really need to know about why they're invading this galaxy. They're not going to back down because they're just so utterly, totally convinced that, well, clearly they're right. Duh. And... Like, they are coming from such an utterly, fundamentally different viewpoint that, no, this negotiation thing would never work, even if it weren't, like, just plot stuff. Yeah, I really like the details about their language. Just, like, doesn't have a word for peace, or it doesn't mean what humans think it means, which is... Yes, exactly. Like, a lot of those fundamental language barriers, even with the little tizzleworms there trying to translate and the whole thing is confused and just like yeah we do not have a word for mercy that's so messed up and that's so good yeah and it's just like brain short circuit what what is this concept of mercy and that is that is saying so much about their culture also the descriptions of a lot of savang laws modifications i'm sorry but those things implanted into his shoulders you can't do that to shoulder joints without permanent disability and the inability to properly use your arms you cannot mess with those joints to that extent. That says a lot about their physiology and pain tolerance that they are able to play with the basic structure of your body so much and you can still be capable of being a powerful warrior. That, to me, was really striking and truly terrifying. I thought it was interesting that they actually mentioned that in the book briefly. They do this pseudoscience about they have redundant microelectric fields in their nervous system, which I am not in any way a doctor or biologist. I don't think that means anything, but I don't know. But I like that they kind of went, yeah, they have redundant nervous system or whatever. They're actually, they're Not that it's a high pain tolerance, but it's a, you know, a redundant one. (laughs) It sounds real to me. I'll go with it. Yeah. I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on TV, but I have enough experience with bodies malfunctioning that they seem to be doing a good job of building a race that can withstand some pretty serious physical damage and just keep going. Related. (laughs) Just like the way they describe all the weird modifications and like... That's really horrifying and also pretty it awesome. Is, it is awesome. And the, it, the sort of malleability of them is just, oh, like, yeah. from a writing perspective, I think it's really cool to be able to make all these technologies Brilliant. and different modifications and stuff. Huh. So related to the whole pain thing, this might... I feel like this is the first book where I've actually had to wince really, really hard while reading it after what they did to Leia. Yeah. That was one yeah. scene where I don't know what it is about it. I don't know if it's that it's the mix of detail and vagueness. It's like some of it is specified and some of it's not. But I was very much like that's it's a real it's relatively realistic too. It's not like she got shot with a blaster with a weapon that doesn't exist. Like she basically yeah. was like beaten on the street, right? So it's much more visceral. Yeah, yeah and they keep talking about like all the blood on the floor and then Jason's worried at one point that maybe he shouldn't have done a tourniquet because she might have to like amputate the limbs and I'm like holy crap yeah in reread I'm like oh wow this scene is substantially more intense than I remember because this book did not stand out in my brain 
as one of the more gory or intense books. Wow, that's saying something in this series. And then in reread, I'm like, wow, actually, that was way more than I remembered. Honestly, if I've been reading this for the first time and not knowing about any books that came ahead, I think I might have been worried that Leia was going to die there. Absolutely, yes. Because it's a hardcover. Yeah. We saw what happened the last time we had a hardcover book. But... Yeah, and I don't know why mm. it was just like... And this is clearly a series not afraid of killing people. Yeah, so. I, mean, I don't know why it was like that much blood is what threw me off and not like people chopping off their hands to get new hands or whatever, but ugh. ugh. I think we don't see blood as often in Star Wars because a lot of the weapons will carterize. That's true. That's very true, actually. And then, of course... Or often when blood is mentioned, it's often some kind of alien blood that doesn't look anything like the human stuff. And I think that's in a way, at least for me, much less disconcerting. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, wow. This was definitely more than I expected. And then Sabong and- gets hit with office furniture. <laughs> <laughs> like... A- like I have, I have this image of like some kind of tacky office decorations flying at him <laughs> along with the practical furniture, and just for all that that works. Like afterwards, you can tell how embarrassed he is because even if he doesn't necessarily get that this stupid kid just threw office furniture at him, he can tell that this is probably not the way that one normally gets somebody out of a room quickly. Yes. <laughs> What do you mean? I routinely throw chairs at people. Like, that's obviously how I say, get out of my office. I don't know how things are your job, but... I mean, once my boss pulled my chair out from under me, but it was accidental. (laughs) So, I think the scene after this, where he is kind of brushing the dust off his shoulder like Luke, you know, and kind of, like, he's all sad if he was an animal his ears would be folded down and that's when he starts to <laughs> oh no that not mental to like long law he kind of did a little but, bit that is, such a, that is such a disconcerting mental image because i don't, regret everything have like kind of big listen ears. if small law was a puppy okay that's really Wait, disturbing if Long was a puppy what kind of puppy would he be a rhodesian ridgeback <laughs> You had that answer way Hold too on, ready. I have to Google this. <laughs> one of my, my friends recently got one, but also they have spines on their backs and they're made for fighting things. <laughs> okay, now that I've done that. Okay, my brain um, right now is slightly baffled and had an image somewhere between like one of those hairless cats and and something like an armadillo. So yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I need to Google or, this. Or Bria, do you have an opinion? This is getting better and better. I, I'm Googling as we go to see what the dog podcast, looks like. Isn't it? Okay. I'm specifically Googling uh, to see what a what a pu- Rhodesian Ridgeback puppy looks like. Oh, look at their right? forehead. Their forehead wrinkles no, are pretty they cute. They look so cute. <laughs> they have the fur on the back of, on their spine is ridged, right? Which is why they're yeah. called that. I like this, especially especially because like one of the top pictures is one with a, like a stuffed zebra in its mouth. So <laughs> I'm just well, imagining what the new logo for our podcast is going to be. Gonna gonna have to talk to someone about this. 
Um, boy. Okay, so to... Uh, I'm gonna try to, like, get back to saying something serious after that, but it's gonna be hard. Um, when he's recovering and he presses on the wounded foot in order to basically punish himself, um, where he's like, he needs, yeah. he doesn't worship, he doesn't, like, not into pain the way, like, Shadow Shy was, but he's like, this is important to commemorate the event that happened, but it's also a little bit of hatred it's a little bit of like punishing himself and i yeah. thought that that was notable especially because we've seen you sanbang before be very like exultant about it and he wasn't he was like this is mm-hmm. serious and this is solemn and was using it as a kind of it was reverent but also i he's mm-hmm. a little messed up and i think he just felt bad that he lost yeah, mm-hmm. and I get the impression he's not used to losing, and also, like it seemed like from this book that he's pretty devout for a Yuzhanbong who's not a priest. It seems like he's actually very devoutly religious in comparison. Like a lot of the others are pretty religious, but like he seems to take it at a different level of seriousness. Almost. He's almost like spiritual as well as religious, right? He yeah. doesn't just perform yeah. it. He's like he takes it as a burden like, almost. He lives it. Yeah. yeah. Very much so. And I feel like that's something that, that, like, the more personality he gets, the more it's like, this is why this is one of my favorite villains of all time. It sets him apart. Like, especially... he's not one-dimensional. Oh, what were you going to say? Hmm? So, uh, sorry. Like, he doesn't feel like a one-dimensional villain. Yeah, especially compared to Naminor, uh, we see him contrasting with Naminor, which I liked. Yeah. I want to bring up, um, I think this is later in the our notes, but we're kind of talking about it now. So we had a question from a listener from TI3612. Zabangla um, and Naminor are two villains I really enjoy. Do they work for you? And how do they compare to each other, especially being so drastically different? And I think that's pretty much what we just answered that question, right? It's they like work partially because they're so drastically different. Naminor is a frustrating trickster who is absolutely nowhere near as smart as he thinks he is. Savangla is the sort of villain who is a well-built villain who is legitimately dangerous, especially as he gets built as a character. And he has, like, actual personality and isn't just, hello, this is a villain. I'm going to give Naminor some points, though, for successfully pulling off the, oh, cough, cough, I'm busy, I can't come to your meeting trick on <laughs> yes I, mean, <laughs> I need to get better at that <laughs> the, i don't want to call him the man the, the yuzan vong go like finds a way because he knows why is there so we're just gonna be like yeah sorry i'm too busy to come to your meeting bye and just doesn't show up so he doesn't yeah. get found out for the longest time and i'm just like you oh Naminor, never change I mean, he has to be good at what he does, because clearly this is the kind of culture where one misstep and you've been sacrificed, but... He's also really good at getting out of, like, fessing up to what he has and has not done. Yep. Yeah, agreed. But I think you're right. They work because they're so different from each other, and if they were both the same sort of Yuzhen Vong character, it would be boring. I think it's... We haven't met another one of our favorites yet, but that will be soon. 
But I think the fact that all three of them are so distinct from each other is probably part of why we like them. I agree. Yeah. All right. So I think that's all I have about <laughs> Savang La feels. I'm glad I finally got to express them. <laughs> For now. For now. Yes. Please hold. More to come. <laughs> Are we talking about the bureaucracy? Yeah. And how we hate it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, I'm going to say something bold. I felt... This book needed more oh. Kip Duran, and so help me God, I will stand by that. This book would have been 50% more interesting if Kip had been in there being like, let's go blow things up, guys. More stuff. It'd be great. Or even... In- if Kip had been running around unwisely blowing things up, that would have been substantially more exactly. interesting. More Kip Duran. And it would have caused it would have caused political drama that wasn't just bureaucracy and meetings. And for all that I get that it's important, especially especially when you're trying to do a pretty realistic galaxy at war, after a while it just still starts to get very yeah. boring. The refugee camps don't really make for exciting book reading. Especially yeah, no. when Jason's on his, oh, I, I don't want to use the force. I have to be Jason above that. Jason must think about literally everything and then some while Jane is just sitting around like, can I go home now? Can I go home now? Jane is like, can I just have I my vision back? That'd be great. Like, just yeah. please. Yes. <laughs> like, can I go home now to where all the normal people yeah. are? Being present <laughs> under would also have given a stronger reason for Luke not to be able to organize a stronger Jedi Council. There's a scene in here where he talks about basically how he can't stop the Jedi who are trying to be aggressive. He's trying to, like, organize a stronger, more active council, but also seems very restrained. He's just saying, well, we can't do that because people like Kip are causing trouble. And while I do tire of Kip sometimes, I think seeing his stubbornness in this book particularly would have been a stronger answer for the question of why can't Luke kind of take control of all his kids, you know, all of his students uh, more strongly. And we talked a little bit last episode about why Luke kind of has to be taken out of the running because he's basically too strong. And I think... I don't know, I don't remember, but I imagine there were probably a lot of people on the forums and such clamoring for why can't Luke just stop the Yusan Vong? Like, he's really powerful, why can't he kind of just wade in yet? And the answer is because people like Kip are causing too much trouble and now the Jedi are pariahs uh, because the Yusan Vong want to kill them specifically. And that is fine, I guess, that's an answer, but it's vague in this book and partially because we don't really see the Jedi as an order doing a lot. Would you agree with that? Yeah, it's all the solo family problems and hey, we're going to deal with them today and maybe call Kent Hammer for a hot second. And I will say I personally am yeah. relieved to not to have a little bit of a break from Kip. Like he's fine, but <laughs> he can How be dare a little you, much. Megan? How dare you? <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. But from a structural perspective, I agree with you. I just maybe want to see a different Jedi. Listen, my, my garbage <laughs> son is doing his best to do everything wrong. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> everything wrong. 
Very true. <laughs> so speaking of garbage suns. Oh, God. I'm so sorry. You'll have to be more specific. There's so many of them. I didn't mean that transition to be that way. Do we want to talk about Mara? <laughs> no. Hold on. Wait a minute. How dare you speak that way of this Benbrio? I stole that joke from Nancy. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't... I, I, I had to do it. I it's don't know. not his fault. I guess we're kind of spoiling okay, things. I finally fell out of my chair. I finally fell out of my Did chair. You really? I don't hate this aspect of the EU. I have made peace with a lot of it. I think, in general... It's Rocky not his said it fault. Fell out of character. <laughs> I'm just going with what she said. Oh no no no! I agree with that. I'm misobjecting to calling the the tiny embryo thing in her womb a garbage son. Okay, I'm sorry, Ben Skywalker embryo. That child had zero chance to be even marginally normal with Luke and Mara as parents. There is no hope. It's of not that. his fault. Not even a, a slug. She thought he was a slug. Oh God. <laughs> In that case, garbage son is quite appropriate, isn't it? Uh, I I'm gonna keep my thoughts on this. I've already put my foot in my mouth, but <laughs> I, I want you guys to talk. All I'm going to say is that at one point, Mara, she has control of her own cells to the degree that she can move blood cells into certain places within her own body. And at one point, she feels the cells of her unborn, undeveloped child, and she thinks it's a slug. <laughs> That's all, I'm done. Which, in the first place, <laughs> like, why? Why is that her first thought? Wait, do I want to know? Probably Honestly, though, not. it's Mara. <laughs> like, it's Mara True. Jade we're talking about here. <laughs> Describing a tiny human inside of her as a granite slug isn't actually that far off. However, I will say yeah, that true. everything else with the pregnancy in this book made my eyes roll right out of my head. <laughs> like... Baby rabies. Oh, God. Like, it felt out of character. It was so bad. Because, like, I have met women who are like this. In general, like, it does, doesn't seem like it clicks very well with Mara's personality, or at least what we know of Mara's personality. Honestly, and, I feel like this had to... <sighs> I feel like this plot line, which I forgot happens over the course of not that many books, really, when you think about it, um, her pregnancy. I feel like uh -huh. this was them going, oh, crap, there isn't a Skywalker child, which means there's no one to carry on the Skywalker name. Quick, we have to fix this. And I'm like, well, let's do it now, when I think the best thing they could have done was had Mara have a child between the end of the new Young Jedi Knights series and the start of this. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Mara with a one-year-old on her hip fighting things is so much more preferable. Very in character. Yeah, like, and it seems like something she would do Exactly. Anyways. I would have been like, yeah, I want to see Mara with like a baby strapped to her back taking on the Yuuzhan Vong because she would do that. And it would be, it wouldn't have... 
messed with her characterization at the start when she's like, oh, I'm so, you know, I'm sick. And I'm like, okay, great. And now, oh, I have baby rabies. And so essentially they sideline her for the first third of the series, if not more. (laughs) I'm like, this is not like, I mean, they try, (laughs) but I mean, I, I also understand that I am probably not the norm here like i am a woman with no desire to have pregnancy occur in my body like thank you are we I, thank you all, in fact the older i yeah. get and the more i hear of it it is horrifying this is absolutely part horrifying. of one of the reasons that i actually like called out on twitter about a different topic in this book about i would be interested in a parent's perspective and we we got a mother's perspective oh, yeah. on something with Jaina. um uh, that's available on twitter i wish i had her handle right now and i don't but i'll get back to that um because i also have no interest in having children so i feel like the three of us are uniquely positioned in this but i also feel that yeah. this was just a very cheesy plot line for her it was very Yes. pulpy and it, it did not work for me yeah like i said like i have no problem with mara and luke having a kid i just think they should have had the kid before this war started because yeah yeah and also i think i'm realizing that i don't really ship luke and mara like i'm fine with them together but a lot of the lovey-dovey stuff they have together makes me want to vomit a little bit in my mouth in this book. And Nancy's going to kill me when she listens to this podcast. If she listens to it, please no one tell her. Um, <laughs> so you found yeah. them to be too, like, too... Like, They're too sweet. Interesting. Yeah. Because yeah, my problem... I, I like them a lot. Like, as a couple, they make a lot of sense when they're like you can tell they do actually like each other but like the bickering and the banter i like that aspect of them as a couple rather than all the mushy sweet stuff because to me the mushy sweet stuff is like well it probably does happen for every couple but but at the same time it just doesn't really feel in character to see tons of it coming from them yeah and like yeah mara just feels very out of character in this book and in a lot of the early part of this and i think it has to do with the whole oh crap we need a sky crawler (laughs) yeah well it's that and you know like i mean we start the series with her being sick and then she Mm -hmm. gets not sick and almost immediately they're like baby cool and i'm like i I again I'm not trying to sound like understanding that the three of us are in the minority here amongst most women and I understand like I I don't judge any woman who does want to have go through pregnancy and have babies but it just all it, it feels like Mara is having a kid because she has to because the future plot demands it yes because like her desire for a kid seems to come out of nowhere and i am not a very good reference for whether that's a real thing so please listeners please feel free to tell me that surprise must have baby is a legitimate feeling because i am not a good reference for that whatsoever (laughs) at all but like it just felt like it was very contrived and out of nowhere 
That does kind of connect to the dynamic between Leia and Jaina here. And I, Amy Wishman from Twitter oh, yeah. had some interesting points about how Leia was portrayed as a mother. Um, and I had... I felt that some of the conversations between Jaina and Leia were also very much a kind of, we have to do this. It's the obligatory women aren't getting along really? scene. <laughs> and did, did you think that really? about uh, Jaina and Leia at all? Or I've also um, talked to Trisha and she said she kind of identified with it. I understand oh, yeah. that. And I think <laughs> I, ev- not I personally understand the, the, feeling of having disagreements with my parents but this one seemed a sort of a stalling tactic to me but what what do you think oh well to me it just seemed to me it was basically oh so some teenager did actually say to her mother all the things that in some form or another i figured every teenager felt but then again i also as a teenager did not have a great relationship with my mother and we were constantly butting heads simply because we were fundamentally different people who wanted very different things out of our lives. Like my mom wanted totally different things, much like Leia's never going to be a full-time Jedi. She is busy being a full-time politician. And Jaina sees her world very different and has very different ideas about what she thinks she wants out of a parent combined with Maybe this was me as a teenager, but pretty much all of my friends at that time also frequently did not get along with their parents. And to me, it was just, oh, good, seeing fictional teenagers having issues that resonated well with me just made me go, "Ah, I feel a lot less alone about this. I mean, she's 16. Like, I, I had and still have a pretty good relationship with my mother, but I know that as a teenager, she and I yelled at each other a lot. Um, Like, oh, yeah. Jane is 16. <laughs> You're gonna yell at your mom. And also... Oh, I had multiple screaming fights oh, with my yeah, mother when exactly. I was 16, it's 17, a, 20. Like, that was just like, well, oh, well, that's the thing is like, So that part to me felt genuine. And I can also... I can understand why she felt the way she did because... Uh, so basically, you know, as we all know, in the old, in Legends, the Solo kids got kidnapped every week. And when they weren't being kidnapped, they were being taken care of by Winter or by 3PO or by, in one instance, Winter had, was she babysitting Anakin on some rock in the Jedi Academy trilogy? Like the space station thing? I- yeah. Or whatever, whatever oh, it was. Yeah. I remember there were uh, spider-like AT MSTs or whatever they were called, and Akbar tried to help her. Um, I vaguely remember this. Akbar tried to help with a lot of things in the Jedi Academy it, trilogy, and it didn't it always really go never so well. went well. Um, so I can see where. Oh, I have to talk about this so carefully because I'm about to start talking about canon stuff too. To me. Jaina's anger about this felt more understandable than people making assumptions and about how Ben Solo felt about having a nanny droid at times 
in canon. Yes. Um, yes, yes. Very, very because true. Because <laughs> there were literally times where both Leia and Han would be would be away. And I think, you know, for long, long periods of time and not like, oh, hey, I've been around for a couple of years. I'm going to go away for two weeks. Um, and I think it gets taken out on Leia here because Jaina and Han have always been more similar. And yes. and like this really resonated with me a lot because my dad and I have always had a pretty good relationship and we are very similar. And my mom and I, <laughs> we didn't end up on good terms again until I was well out of my teens. <laughs> is, it, is it in this yeah. book that because I remember there was there was a book and I can't remember if it was in in this series where Leia makes a comment to like Mara about. Jaina calling her mother for the first time and not calling her mom. And I remember that. I can't remember what it, which book it was, but I know she calls her mother in her little, her angry rant. And I just remember her calling her mother just really, really stood out to me. Um, and the other thing I was thinking about that hit me just now is that how Jaina feels about Leia being a politician and never embracing her Jedi training almost sort of feels like an imperfect mm -hmm. metaphor for a mother who either continues to work full time or who becomes a stay at home mom. Huh. That could be a stretch, but no, I think that's not too far a stretch because like you said, the tension does come yeah, from, they are, separate from one another a lot and Jaina they're both going through things that the other doesn't necessarily have insight into because they just weren't present and I think this is a little hard for me to talk about because a lot of the time my conflict with my mother would like show up as we just be really quiet and prickly and then there'd be an explosion and then we quiet and prickly again so maybe an argument like this would actually have helped to like <laughs> blow off steam and also, oh, yeah. <laughs> this reminds me, um, it, or rather, I found it interesting that I'm in this kind of strange position of identifying with the adults while also understanding that the kid's perspective would have made perfect sense to me at the time. I think when I was a kid, I thought that Jaina needed more support. I, I wanted to see her have someone who understood her. And we kind of got that with Mara. And... Mm -hmm. This does have, like, that alliance between Jaina and Mara, and she and Leia kind of reconcile a little bit toward the end. So it's not all them lashing out. Um, it's a, There's a bit of a balance there. But now, I don't know. I, I still couldn't help but see it from an outside, like, a, a writing perspective of here's a a conflict we have to open because we need more conflict. But I think that's, we know that we're all finding out about uh, human interaction here. I, I don't want to sound like an alien. I'm here. I'm yeah. studying human interaction. <laughs> I mean, I think in a way, though, a lot of the book is about, it's about the solos basically getting their crap with each other settled. Um, yes, there's a lot of impromptu family therapy in, and like, it's going to come out sooner or later, all of Jaina's frustrations at Leia, when the whole family is tense and on edge and has a lot going on, a lot on their minds, in the middle of a giant mess. Yeah. 
especially someone like Jaina is a lot more likely to just blow up and finally say what's on And it's not just Jaina, though. I mean, Leia and Han have been in... (laughs) And I really don't like how Leia and Han have been. Like, I was like, this should have been handled ages ago. But they do, you know, have their clash and they do... It's like the Solo family gets better again by the end of this book. Except for, and I'm just realizing, Anakin Mm -hmm. was basically just like not having anything to do with the Solo family drama. And I appreciate that precious boy a little more for that. Because this book, he's just like, I'm going to go off with Uncle Luke and Aunt Mara. Bye, guys. You sort this out. I mean, not really, but... But I mean, at least, I like that at least there there feels like there's some resolution to the... to the conflict. Yeah, it definitely feels like Anakin's kind of like, well could sit here with popcorn, watch family drama, or could go make myself useful somewhere. And Anakin's still kind and of And the rest of the family really just needs to sit down and have a good long chat argument about everything that's going on with them and at least try to clean it up a little. He's just coming off of his major decision at center point too. So I think he's almost not, mm-hmm. not in shock per se, but he's probably digesting a lot of that as well. Yeah, he doesn't need this crap. Yeah, he has more than enough drama going on. Alright, so we didn't talk about this, uh, Rocky, you have a note about Vicky Shash. Do you want to talk any more about, um, oh, previous Yeah, Carice? and I see in, in all of my... <laughs> <laughs> my precious yeah, trash princess. In... I love her so much because she is such a terrible person. <laughs> Yeah, I see in a lot of my handwritten notes where after the call there to Vicky Shesh, Jaina and Jason both realize she is something is not right with her. Even if they're not sure what it is, they have the something is not right feeling. And it just kind of seems to me like, shouldn't somebody else have realized that something just isn't quite right? Because it seems like from the way she's being presented, she almost sounds like she's supposed to be a little too good to be true. Like, you shouldn't have to be a Jedi to figure out that this just seems odd. I kind of love her a lot. I really love her a lot. I still don't know, like, for all that we know whose side she's on, I don't know whose side Randa is on when it comes to, he's talking to her, he's talking to the Yuzhambang, he's talking to everyone who will hold still long enough and a lot of people who won't. And like, Throughout all this, I'm like, here are the two sides of how to be a terrible person. One, Vicky, who actually knows how, and two, Randa, who is a total wannabe. <laughs> See, I like I like Vicky more because at least she stands for something besides yeah. her you know, she she has a plan. Randa's plan isn't a plan, it's just, uh, who's gonna help me right now? Randa literally exactly. panic. Like he panics and he decides that the best way is to just betray everyone. It's it's panic treachery. <laughs> He's By so the useless. end of it, I could not tell whose side he was on other than the side that was gonna get him killed very quickly for being a complete and utter doorknob. <laughs> I like there's a point towards the end where they're like, Where's Randa? And everyone's like, I don't know, I don't care. Like he, <laughs> he was supposed to be here. Who cares? Whatever. Yeah. Yep. Also, I love that Vicky basically did I just keep it wasn't exactly this, but it's what I had in my mind where she's like, 
you know, the way you crinkle a wrapper by the microphone or by the phone and be like, oh, sorry, static breaking up. I can't hear you. Yes. That's yes. basically what she does to <laughs> Jaina and Jason. Oh, sorry. Gotta go. Bye. And I'm like, you didn't even I try. She's you- so terrible and I love her. <laughs> she okay. did not care enough to give a good yeah. lie to the solo twins. Nope. Damn, girl. <sighs> I love her so much. <laughs> she's so she's so awful. And oh, she was definitely her. a redeeming quality of this book because for all that she's a terrible, terrible person, she's at least a well-written terrible person. Yes. Yes. Similarly to how we were saying about <sighs> Savanwa, I think in this book you get a good sense of her kind of tone. You can almost hear her like elegant oh, yeah. but slightly sniveling tone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I have heard that voice so many times. I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to remember the name of the person whose voice I associate with her. But I've heard that voice before, and it's described so well. It's like we all have that mental image of what she sounds like, and like her general mannerisms. She's, at least to me, she's very easy to see in my mind. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. So we have one other listener question. Is there anything else you want to talk about from the notes before we go to the question? Do we want to update our uh, our counters? Sure. Either way. Oh, yeah. Got two more on the dead no Greek count, sadly. Rest in peace. So that brings us up to three. Three dead no Greek, right? Were there only one before this? I think. Yeah, because yeah, I added, I made it two on when I updated the master list. All right, cool. I mean, not cool. So I guess we're up to three dead Nogri. And one dead Jedi. One off-screen mm-hmm. dead Jedi. Who we never even got to meet. No. <laughs> it's like Lady Jedi, but no. And zero Kips a Jerk references. Although I guess... I felt like there were a bunch of vague ones, but I <laughs> yeah, realized now was, that I didn't really count them. Does, does being I a- forgot that's what we were counting, because in my mind, I got a Felix its own <laughs> counter. And I was like, there's another tick mark, and that was not what we were counting. Well, being the reason the Jedi Council is ineffective counts as a tick mark, by all means, put one down. <laughs> I, I think that might count as more than one. <laughs> My trash son is doing his best to be awful. <laughs> you know what? I respect you know, that. And I'm never going to be able to look at the phrase garbage son the same way. <laughs> Personally, I'll never be able to look at the phrase brutal core word thrust the same way again. So our question... All right. So does this book so far win for either really bad innuendo or phrases we've ruined for ourselves? We're, we're not counting that. I'm think- going to put... Yes. <laughs> I'm going to declare that one. We're not counting that. Okay, fine. <laughs> because Sorry. otherwise we're going to go no out of our fun. way to look for it. <laughs> Okay. So I'm sorry. Was there another? There, there was, was another, another question, question, right? Oh, right. Um, from this. Okay. Would you like to read it? From the same <laughs> listener, they say I'd sort of forgotten just how long Han was away from Leia after Chewie's death. In my mind, it was much shorter. In balance point, three PO more or less asks, "Are you guys getting a divorce? How did this all feel the first time you read it versus how it carries now?" 
I will say right now, I have no idea how this felt the first time I read it. I don't remember. <laughs> um, so I apologize for that. And I think we talked a little bit about how it carries now. I mostly look at how it reflects on the kids more than Han and Leia themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember how I read it originally, but I do know that I can't help but comparing and contrasting it with Legends and wanting to go, oh, oh, so so you can complain about Han and Leia taking a bit of a break after their son goes to the dark side, but but it's fine for them to pull this when there's a war going on and they have three alive kids? Sure, sure, fine, whatever. That should have been said in a Han. Could you tell Luke? Is that how you could tell, voice? Just for <laughs> reference. Yes. <laughs> I understand A plus GIF usage. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I don't really recall how how I thought of it the first time. I really don't. There's a scene later that I really like in terms of how it resolves Han and Leia's kind of splintered relationship, but that's slightly spoilers. Yeah, I like that there's a... I seem to remember, because I was reading the last 150 pages of this very, very quickly before... Because, no spoilers, but when we don't like a book, I feel like all three of us are usually finishing it like 20 minutes before the podcast starts. See, I um, finished it on Tuesday, but I was writing my show notes in between finishing the last of my work while working late tonight. I'm going to use the fact that I had like a couple I said, book I didn't... review assignments as an excuse, but also I'm going to be transparent about it and say that it was an excuse to read this slowly. Yeah, but uh, there's a scene, like, some really sweet scene. It wasn't even a scene. It was just, like, a moment where, like, Han and Leia are, like, embracing, and it feels more like the old Han and Leia for a moment. I don't remember the exact context, but it made me go, okay, you know, we're good. This mm-hmm. is this is okay now, yeah. or it's going to be okay mm-hmm. once Leia's screwed up legs get fixed something about back to fixes everything what is it like the duct tape of the gffa or the medical well version? she's already she already had to shave her head so just dunk her in the tank it's fine <laughs> hey in retrospect that is even more traumatic than it was the first time i read this book getting her head shaved or being dunked in a no getting getting your head tank. shaved surprise because like because <laughs> that's like wow that's actually a pretty pretty brave thing to do but <laughs> Yeah, I wow. don't think I could yeah, no, shave my head. No, I no. buzzed my head before and you couldn't pay me to do that ever again. That I was a traumatic haircut. Very mixed feelings nope. about this because until this January, I did have half of my hair was mostly buzzed. And so I was like, okay. But on the other hand, it was a pretty daunting just show of how bad the refu- refugee situation is, which was mm-hmm. vivid. Uh and I think the timing of this book was interesting in that regard. So it worked effectively as a kind of, this is how bad the situation is. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Published in 2001. Hmm. Yeah. I got nothing more except to say that, well, you guys both know I have very long hair. <laughs> and if anyone were like, you... 
I, you could not get me to willingly shave it. Yeah. Because <laughs> I would just be panicked. I would be panicked. I'd be like, I don't know what to do without hair. Yeah, I'm six years past buzzing my head and I'm almost back to waist length and I'm never, ever doing that ever again. I think I felt more yeah. for Jaina with her, um, like her goggles because I've always worn glasses. Yeah. So I was like, I know what it's like to be annoyed by a thing on your face and like she can't quite see and I identified mm-hmm. with that part and how hard that must be. Oh, poor Jaina. Jaina's gone through a lot. She deserves better. Jaina needs a lot of hugs by the end of this series. Ugh. Yeah. She did get a cool X-Wing fight, but even that fight was kind of just, it was not exciting. I'm on team well, Jaina well, deserves I- better. <laughs> She does, and I was excited at first because I was like, "Yay, Jaina's in an X-wing!" And, and then we got further along, and I was like, "Oh, damn it! No, it's this." Mm-hmm. And yeah. <sighs> okay, I'm out of things yeah, to say, I about, <laughs> except that one. I have derailed this podcast from one end to the other. This is like probably the most varied in tone we've done an episode because I feel like I started off with like really inappropriate jokes. <laughs> And then we all talked about like our various relationships with our mothers. And I'm like, this is an episode. Yeah, there might have been a little yeah. bit of tonal whiplash. Now we know more things about each other and you know more things about us. And the I call it the New Jedi Order Therapy podcast for a reason. Yes, yes, it's been this a is, wonderful yeah. impromptu therapy session, as well as all of us laughing so hard we probably broke something. <laughs> You're the one who fell out of your chair. <laughs> Look, I haven't seen my cat in a few minutes, so I think I scared her out of the living room while I'm podcasting so again. Next Aww. time, we have finally gotten to Edge of Victory Conquest, which features some of my favorite characters, and I'm yes. really excited to get to it. Me too. Yay! <laughs> I've actually been super looking forward to Edge of Victory Part 1. <laughs> so... I feel like that was the first book. You, no, the second book you guys fought yes. over. Was sure who was. was going to get which? Who's going to get this book? And I just, I just stepped out so, of the way. <laughs> like I'm excited for it, but you two are really excited for it. Not to be too navel gazy, but like the second time I read this one was not as exciting as the first time I read it. For some reason, my review on Goodreads for it is actually three stars, which is I feel like I just blanked that memory out. I don't know why I gave it three stars when it made such a huge impact in my entire teenage life. <laughs> but we shall see. That tension shall be resolved next time. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and I just realized the only last note I had is there is a description somewhere in balance point of one of the Yuzhanbong, I it might have been Seif for that matter, having an office chair or like their equivalent of an office chair that moves around on like pseudopods or something like that. And I read that, read over that sentence a couple times and then thought, that sounds like an awesome office chair. I want one. <laughs> <laughs> Rocky, that's so on brand for you. Yes. I can't even. Yes. <laughs> And on that note, maybe I should oh, podcast when I'm tired of brain fried more often. <laughs> Wait, hold on. Before before we actually end it, since we don't really usually have reviews, but someone just tweeted us all about the show. Um, Blake Booza, I'm probably not pronouncing that right, on Twitter, just tweeted us, I've been catching up on the last few shows and you ladies have been giving me life on my commute. Please don't stop. Can't wait to be all cut up for next month's show. Oh. So hey, Blake. <laughs> When you listen to this episode, thank you for the review. That is Aww. totally awesome. We, we're really yeah, glad that you're so enjoying much. this. Thank you. 
Yeah, my heart grew three sizes. Aww. <laughs> it's the time for us to do that thing where we say where you can find all of us on social media. Yep. Yes. Okay. Does that mean I have to go first? Probably. Okay. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Chaos Brea. I'm also a managing editor over at Tashi Station, which is now TashiStation.net without the hyphen. Uh, you can also find some of my writings over on StarWars.com, where I'm now doing a bi-weekly column on Star Wars comics. And aside from that, you can also listen to me on the KanjiCast, which is a monthly podcast with the Asia perspective and the galaxy far, far away. And I think that's everything. KanjiCast is great. You should definitely listen to it. Um, I can be found at BlogFullOfWords on Twitter or at blogfulofwords.blogspot.com where you can find such things as my starwars.com articles, my um, Twine games, and links to other sundries. Right now I've been working with Den of Geeks books section to do some book reviews. So if you like to hear me talk about books, that's a good place to do it as well. All right. And I am Lady Darth Kytus on Twitter. And some of my writing is deep within the archives of the 1138 blog. And... I also show up on Of Dice and Droids, which is another one of the Tashi Station podcasts. Once again, slightly hilarious perspective, a tabletop game, the Star Wars version. It's awesome. <laughs> and one final note, this podcast has been brought to you in part by your support on Patreon. And if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the Tashi Station Radio mega feed for more episodes and all our network's great Star Wars and geek culture content. And we are also out there on Facebook and Twitter. 